0: There's a brief disclaimer for violence and late adult stuff this week. Check out MythPodcast.com for more info. This week on Myths and Legends, it's the War of the Giants from Greek mythology, where we'll see a very effective form of birth control. And then we'll witness the Olympians bravely band together to defend the universe from being ruled by violent monsters so that the Olympians can continue their own rule as violent monsters. The creature this time is an angry buff unicorn whose Really proud of his new highlights. This is Myths and Legends, Episode 92, Gigantic. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, with surprising origins. Others are stories you might not have heard, but really should. Whether you're in a podcast about ghastly crimes or hip-hop rhymes, there is always something new to discover on Spotify. With a mix of originals and many of the world's most popular shows, listening to podcasts on Spotify is easy. Just open the app, tap browse, and dive into their growing library. Subscribe to your favorites, including our entire archive, so you'll never miss a show. You can also download podcasts for those moments when you're up in the air or going underground. Podcasts on Spotify are streaming right now so go check them out. We are back in Greek mythology in another standalone episode. As you probably know, Greek myths are the ones where Zeus and Hera rule the cosmos from Mount Olympus. They defeated their parents, the Titans, to gain that spot and have ruled for millennia. There are many, many people and beings unhappy with them, but they're the immortal Olympians, so who can really do anything about it? Their grandma, that's who... Gaia, the mother of the titans, and the grandmother of the Olympians, saw her children in chains. Someone would pay. She had conceived the original idea, the first attack of a son against his father. Her husband, Uranus, had grown fearful of their children, and so he kept them from being born. He pushed them back into Gaia's womb. Needless to say, this did not go over well. The unborn children grew into toddlers, and Tired of running in a painful daycare in her ever-expanding uterus, Gaia decided to do something about it. She handed her eldest son, Cronus, a sickle. That night, when Uranus unbelievably tried to make a move, Gaia had other plans. It was payback. for Those years and years of pain. In the dark, Cronus seized his father and sliced his... Yeah. The pieces of Uranus fell away plummeting to the earth and sea below. The mighty first king of the gods was now supplanted by his own son. The children of Gaia, the titans, were finally born. The titans were all she had left to the old times. And even though she watched Cronus grow to be more and more like his father by eating his own children, she loved the titans. Then, the war began. The Titanomachy, that clash between the Olympians, the children of Cronus and Rhea, and their parents, the titans, the cosmos took sides. The battle was won, and a new order was established. Zeus, Hera, Poseidon, and Hades ruled from Olympus, while the titans were sent in chains to Tartarus, the place of fire and torment. This is where we started today, Gaia watching her children in chains. After all they had done for her, after all they had been through together, they were reduced to this. We don't know Gaia's motivations, but she returned to the place where, long ago, Cronus wounded his father and Gaia became free. Maybe she wanted to bring about a new order. Maybe she wanted to start over. Maybe she just wanted to crush the Olympians. There it was, the blood that fell from Uranus that still stained the ground. She bent down to touch it. Yes, yes, this would work. She closed her eyes, and as she did, they began to emerge from the ground. Massive shadows rose above her, giants. They were her children, an army that would take back their world, an army that would crush the Olympians. Zeus, we need to talk. Hera, for the last time, she's obviously lying. What? Who? I don't know, whoever you're talking about, Zeus said. It's not that this time, Hera replied. There's something coming. Something bad, Zeus. Remember when you're gonna give me a spoil of war to those two giant nine-year-olds? <sighs> "'I remember bravely making a difficult choice "'for the fate of the universe, yes,' Zeus replied. "'Sure, well, those kids, "'they weren't even technically giants, "'and they were still able to bring us to our knees. "'Real giants are the kids that were born "'when your dad, Cronus, castrated your grandpa, Uranus. "'The blood that dropped to the ground went into the earth. "'Gaia and the giants were born. <laughs> "'Eesh, thanks for the exposition, Hera What's your point?" Zeus said. The point is that those giants, they're coming. I had a prophetic dream last night. They've lived in the ground for far too long. Since they are the sons of Cronus, they see themselves as the rightful heir to the cosmos. Okay, so what's the big deal? They try anything, I thunderbolt their faces, done and done. Besides, how many could there be? Three, four? Over 20, Hera replied, and in my dream, I can't kill them. I saw them hurling fire at Olympus. I saw Ares impaled on his own swords. I saw a field of gods, crushed by the giants. I saw their leader, Alcyone, sitting on your throne, your bloody head tossed to the floor below. Oh. Yeah, I thought you might want to know, Hera said. What can we do? Zeus replied. Hera admitted that she didn't know yet. Her visions weren't precise. They came in their own time, and they'd all just need to be patient. Days passed, and Hera was able to fill in more and more of the details. There was an herb that the giants would use for invulnerability. She was gaining ground, and very close to figuring it all out, when the visions stopped. They just stopped? Zeus demanded. Zeus demanded. There was a battle approaching with universe-altering ramifications, and now Hera's visions that had helped them in the past just stopped. Hera stood, looking out the window. I know, right? Weird. It's such a bummer that we're all going to die, but, you know, everything ends, even the reign of the immortal Olympians. Zeus marched closer to his wife and stood directly in front of her. Except no. No, it doesn't. The word immortal means, you know what? I don't believe you. Yeah, it was hard for me to say that. It was hard for me to imagine my spouse could lie to me like that. I mean, a spouse lying to a person? But I think you're keeping something from me. You do know how we can defeat the giants, don't you? Hera and Zeus stood looking at one another. Yes, I do, she said. Okay, spit it out. It's a mortal, Zeus. A mortal will help us. And there are lots of mortals. What's their name? The visions didn't reveal a name, but... I got a good look at him. And... And he was wearing... He was wearing a lion skin. Zeus' eyes widened. He started shaking with excitement. You mean... Yes. Yes! Hercules! Hercules dragged Cerberus, the three-headed hellhound, back to the gates of Hades. It had been a fight the whole way, but it was nearly finished. He was nearly finished. It had been over a decade, completing one feat after another to be purified for killing his wife and children. But as soon as he gave Cerberus back to Hades, that was it. He was finished. Did he go? Hades asked an hour later as Hercules yelled at six ears not listening when he told the dog to heal. Yeah, sure, Hercules replied, handing Hades a leash. Sure isn't an answer, it's a yes or a no, otherwise I have to go back up there, Hades said as three faces licked him. I think I'm not really a dog person, <laughs> more of a cat person, Hercules said, motioning to his lion skin cloak. Hades was not amused. Also, there was someone here with a message for Hercules. Hades motioned to the ornate bench outside his underworld manor. It was Athena. She said she had news. He wasn't gonna like it either because Hera needed his help. My help, Hercules glowered. He explained that he'd forgotten to thank Hera for all the help with the Amazons. If she hadn't appeared among them and convinced them that he was trying to kill their leader, he wouldn't have actually had to kill their leader. Or if she hadn't sent a gadfly among the cattle of Geryon, it wouldn't have taken him an extra year to complete that labor and collect them all again or if she hadn't sent the giant crab in his fight with the Hydra, then, well, actually, that was an easy one. You've both made some mistakes, Athena admitted. She put a snake in my crib when I was a baby. She drove me to madness where I unwittingly killed my wife and children. I had to spend over a decade completing the most dangerous, demeaning tasks imaginable. And even then, she was along for the ride, throwing an anachronistic wrench in the whole thing. Because Zeus is a jerk, and raped my mom. So don't both sides this. She's completely at fault and now we both can't get away from this association you know that my name ironically means the glory of Hera because of all the stuff she sent to kill me that I beat I'm reminded of the most horrifying painful experience of my life and she's reminded of her idiot husband's infidelity you finished Athena asked yeah I'm finished Hercules said what do you need Athena shared the message the world's about to end and you're the only one who can save it she told Hercules of Hera's dreams. The giants were coming for Olympus. She didn't know when or how. She just saw them ruling with fire and blood. Then, one night, a lion-cloaked, club-wielding mortal rose from the ashes. He alone turned the tide of the war, and he alone saved Olympus. Hercules knew that he was a mortal, but the problems of the Olympians were his problems. If the giants took over, they would come for the mortals associated with the gods. and Hercules was, humbly, the strongest and most famous mortal on earth. He hated Hera and disliked his father almost as much, but the Olympians were preferable to fighting the sons of Cronus for the rest of his life. He told Athena that... sure, he would do it. He would help them. Zeus swore as he tripped over yet another tree root. The herb was hard to find in the daylight, and at night, it was nearly impossible. That was kind of the point, though. Zeus was annoyed. Hera was strutting around Olympus like she owned the place. After she accepted that they would need Hercules' help, she dove headfirst into preparations. She approached Eros, Selene, and Helios and asked them to take a few days off. Hera had seen the image of the herb in her dreams and when they were finally sure what and where it was, she gave the word, and the world became shrouded in darkness. If the giants found the herb, that was it. The gods would need to flee Olympus, because not even Hercules could kill the giants. They would be invulnerable. Unstoppable. Meanwhile, there were some fairly epic preparations taking place atop Olympus. Of course, Hercules was there, club and hydropoison-coated arrows in tow. Real quickly, if you haven't heard the episodes on Hercules' labors, His second one was where he fought the super poisonous Hydra. He proceeded to dip his arrows into the thing's blood, and he used them pretty much throughout the rest of his life. Anyway, Zeus thought that it would be heartwarming to see Hercules, the child he'd had in an affair and then abandoned, and Hera, the wife he constantly cheated on, finally getting along, if it weren't for all of those things. All the gods gathered on Olympus, even Hades, who honestly was just happy to be getting out of the house. Everyone agreed that the giants represented an existential threat to the world so they knew it, and most were down for the fight. Hera had informed the gods that they couldn't kill the giants, but they could hurt them. There would be 24 behemoths from the time of the Titans. So, the less work Hercules had to do for each, the better. Best case scenario, Hercules only needed to run to each one and deal the finishing blow. In the run-up to the finishing moves, he could use all the help he could get, and he got it nearly everyone was on Olympus, preparing for the fight. I see nearly everyone, because there were two goddesses who wanted to sit this one out. Hestia, the virgin goddess of the home, domesticity, and family, was going to step aside. This battle wasn't going to be family friendly. And Demeter, the goddess of the harvest and agriculture, whose sadness made winter every year, also wanted no part in the bloodshed. Hestia makes sense, but to me, Demeter probably kills so many people each year when she's missing Persephone, that sitting out the battle just kind of feels a little cowardly. Everyone else, though, was down to throw down. Aphrodite was down to break a few hearts, literally. Cupid, or Eros in the Greek, put away his normal love arrows, and picked up the less destructive ones that only caused death. And the whole of Olympus parted with the arrival of the Mori, the Fates, the three women who even Zeus feared. They controlled the destinies of all beings. They sauntered onto Olympus, fists wrapped, and flinging bronze pestles like medieval maces. Zeus, however, wasn't around to greet the gods turned pro-wrestlers. He was toga deep in mud, digging around for a stupid herb. Five hours later, Zeus began wondering if the world as he knew it was really worth saving, if it meant the indignity of late manual labor, when he started hearing voices. And they were talking about Zeus's favorite topic, Zeus. It was a low grumble like an earthquake made from words. It was two or three voices, all cursing his name in the darkness. Trees began crashing down all around Zeus. The giants. They were here looking for the herb. They were coming his way. The king of gods gloriously dove for cover in the bushes as a giant foot splintered the tree next to him. Guy said it would be here. Where is it? One voice said. Look, Alcyone, it takes time, okay? Just keep looking for the red vines leading up to it. Zeus rolled his eyes. The red vines bit would have been helpful, some oracle hero was. Just then, he saw the light of a torch flash through the leaves and saw that he was surrounded by red vines. He raised his eyes and realized that he was looking directly at the plant. He smiled. He'd found it. Hey boss, look. Red vines. Zeus's smile melted from his face. They would find him. Trees fell to the ground all around Zeus's hiding place as more feet flattened the forest surrounding the bush. The giants loomed over the bush, bent down, and with their giant fingers plucked it away to find... nothing. The plant was gone. The lead giant, Alcyone, looked to the sky and shouted in rage. And an eagle, far away, screeched in response. It was Zeus. He'd stolen the herb before the giants. And now, the gods had a chance. Zeus smirked at the giants and soared higher into the sky, heading home to share the good news, but he wasn't in the clear. Above Olympus stood a thick pillar of smoke. The attack had already begun. As he approached, he realized that Olympus was surrounded on all sides. The giants were setting fire to the forests. Zeus furrowed his non existent bird brow. What kind of strategy was that? It only limited the giant's cover if the forest burned down. Then it hit him. The idea came to him, yes, but the reason also actually hit him. When one of the giants tore a massive oak from the ground and flung it at Zeus, the king of the gods took a full grown tree to the wing. Luckily, he was close enough to Olympus and careened through the smoke and landed hard in the pavilion. Hermes and Apollo leapt to douse the flames as Zeus popped into his creepy old guy form, and revealed the herb. He had done it. Hera remarked that it was great Zeus could do the one thing he was supposed to do. She paused and looked at his smoking robe, Well, barely do it. Also, he is here. Despite the wall of smoke and the occasional flaming tree creeping in, Hercules was still awed by the glory of Olympus. But then, he looked on Zeus, and narrowed his eyes. Zeus took a deep breath and turned to his wife. He told her that it broke his heart, but there was one time, one singular time, and absolutely no other times, when he had been unfaithful to her. It had been however many years ago Hercules had been born, and it was a source of deep, deep shame for him. But Hercules, the most awesome mortal alive, was actually his son. You don't say, Hera replied. Everyone on Olympus rolled their eyes. Zeus ignored Herod to gush over Hercules. He said he was the guy's biggest fan. All the monsters, the ladies, the killing stuff. It was awesome. He was so proud. Zeus stayed up on everything Hercules did, even on Hercules' Google Alert to prove it. Yet, despite all this gushing from his father, Hercules simply stared in disbelief. He gripped his club and opened his mouth to tell his father all the things he had wanted to for years when they heard an incoming from one of the gods closer to the wall of smoke. Zeus and all the other Olympians dove aside, out of the way of the oak tree that the giants had flung atop Olympus. Hercules, however, stood there as the tree skidded to a stop in front of him. He turned back to Zeus, but the king of the gods, having learned from experience when he's about to be yelled at, turned and quickly changed the subject. We'll talk later, son. Anyway, I'm amazing, and despite grandma's best efforts, I got the herb, he said and tossed the plant onto the flaming log. Hera and Hercules both shrieked and lunged toward the log, yelling at Zeus, demanding to know why he did that. Zeus explained that the giants wouldn't be able to get it now. It's not like they could use it too. They're the immortal gods and oh, right. Hercules is mortal. Sorry guys, I just got up to everyone. And the herb is ash now. Well, we're back to where we were. Hercules was just about to respond when a smiling face materialized from the smoke. The leader of the giants, Alcyone, looked down on Olympus. You're too late. The herb is ash, Zeus called out. Wait, really? You didn't give it to Hercules? That's what I would have done, replied the giant. Well, we're smarter than that, Zeus shouted. "Mm, I don't think that's right, the giant managed to say, before Hercules interrupted him with several hydropoison-coated arrows to the head. Hercules turned to his father, saying that distracting the giant with inane conversation was a great move, to which Zeus replied that, yes, that's exactly what he did. Then Hercules saw something that he had never seen after peppering a monster with hydropoison-coated arrows. The monster continued living. The giant plucked the arrows from his face and laughed in Hercules's little mortal face before stating that he couldn't die. It was a gift from his mother, Gaia. As long as he remained in this country, he could never be killed. Wait, but isn't the border, like, right over there? Someone asked. Well, yeah, he replied, but you'll never... But Hercules already was. As the giant bragged about his fatal weakness, Hercules was bounding toward him. He caught him mid-sentence with a kick to the chest, and Hercules rode the giant all the way down the mountain. He skidded to a stop at the foothills of Olympus they had fallen far, far enough for the giant to be out of the area Gaia had designated for his protection, far enough for him to die. The giant realized this unfortunate fact as Hercules was queuing up yet another hydropoison-coated arrow. The look of shock at his imminent death was the second-to-last thing that hit his face. The last, of course, was Hercules' arrow. Breathing heavily, Hercules heard a cheer rise from Olympus. There was no time to bask in the applause, though, Immediately, the trees began cracking and snapping as the giants, stunned that their leader was now dead, surrounded Hercules as he stood over the body. Hercules stared up at the angry towers of giants as they closed in on him. He'd taken down one giant, and it had been the strongest, but 23 others at the same time would absolutely be a problem. He turned, and he was very surprised by who had come to his aid. Hera stood next to him, clenching her jaw, as the giant, Porphyrion, bounded toward them, his club high in the air. Zeus saw his wife standing next to, maybe his favorite son, and knew what he had to do. Porphyrion's eyes looked on Hercules, his club was in the air, and he was screaming a battle cry. He allowed himself a glance at Hera when she first appeared. Then, with the words uttered by Zeus far off on Olympus, Porphyrion took another look at Hera, then another. Then, he couldn't take his eyes off her at all. Throwing down his club, Porphyrion backhanded Hercules aside and scooped up the queen of the gods in one motion. It was all Hera could do to keep him from kissing her, and whatever Zeus had said had been effective, too effective. Porphyrian went from lust to infatuation to something far darker. He grabbed at Hera and tore her clothes off right there on the battlefield. Porphyrion threw her down, Zeus's spell having been so powerful that the giant didn't see him approach, hovering and crackling with lightning on the wind. A ball of lightning walled over Zeus and then snaked toward Porphyrion. It struck the giant square in the chest and he sprawled onto his back. Zeus continued his attack and pinned the fallen giant to the ground, striking him again and again and again with successive lightning blasts. By this time, Hercules had recovered from the giant swipe his bow, and shielding his eyes, let a single arrow fly toward Porfirian's head. Zeus shocked him for another few moments before relaxing. Hera rose and made some new clothes for herself. She looked up in awe of her husband, floating to the ground, with the air crackling around him. This was the hero she knew. This was the man that she m- Wait, where did the giant get the idea to try to rape her in the middle of battle? Zeus watched as her face went from awestruck appreciation to disgust to just straight rage in about five seconds. Luckily, 22 other giants were closing in on them to destroy them all and take over the world. A fate that Zeus might actually kind of prefer over talking through what had just happened with Hera. The three looked at the sentient mountains that loomed over them. And then, with a flash, they weren't alone. The entire host of Olympus stood with them, Athena and Hephaestus. Artemis and Apollo, Hermes and Hecate, the oceans began to rise under the power of Poseidon. Even the youngest, Dionysus, was there at the ready. Zeus admitted that he didn't have a plan, he didn't have a strategy, they all just needed to fight like the world depended on them, because it did. Oh, and when you feel like you're at a good stopping point with a giant, let Hercules know, so he can seal the deal. All right everyone, see you on the other side. Hades put on his invisibility cap, Hermes' winged sandals. Artemis and Apollo took out their bows. The fates started swinging their bronze maces. They were all ready. Everyone was a little surprised to see Dionysus jump out in front. He had his Thyrsus with him, basically a staff that had a pine cone on top of it that may or may not have been dripping with honey. Zeus rolled his eyes. All right, looks like Dionysus was going to have to come back from the dead. Again but that's not how it went down. It was widely believed that Dionysus, the god of wine and ritual madness, hit a bronze point in his Thrysus. This was confirmed when he sprinted up to the charging giant, poked him slightly in the shin, and then ran away as fast as he could. The giant's eyes glazed over, and it turned to the sky and shrieked. It started pulling out its own hair, and then turned to the giant next to it, tackling it. The host of Olympus watched as it struggled and struggled, before tearing the fellow giant's arm from its body it leapt into the attacking giant fray, beating giants with the arm of their friend, until Hercules caught an opening. The giant was weak enough. With a hydropoison-coated arrow to the back of the head, the beast collapsed, twitching and foaming at the mouth. The Olympians took advantage of the chaos. Athena leapt to the now one-armed giant, and took out her knife. These giants couldn't be killed, but maybe she could use that to her advantage. Hephaestus, the hobbling and rough-looking smith of Olympus, Pulled out a chunk of glowing orange metal and tossed it to the nearest giant. The creature instinctively caught it before shrieking as its hands hissed and popped. He turned to drop it, but it was fused to his skin, and that time Hephaestus had closed the gap. The giant saw what he was doing, but not soon enough to wrench his foot away. Hephaestus lined up a searing hot spike and hammered it down to the ground, pinning the giant. The giant screamed as Hephaestus, now in no particular hurry, limped to the other foot, and did the same thing. As he hobbled away from the giant, he yelled at Hercules that Mimas, the giant, was ready for checkout. But not to worry about it too much. He wasn't going anywhere. Be right there, Hercules yelled from across the battlefield. But first, he and Apollo, the famous marksman, were going to try something fun. Okay, on three, we both shoot. You get the right eye, I get the left. If we do this right, he's dead instantly. Okay, Ready? One, two, three, Apollo stopped him. Was it go on three, or was it one, two, three, go? Hercules rolled his eyes. Who said anything about go? It's one, two, three, fire. On three, like he said. Okay, one, two, three. The giant didn't really stand a chance. Apollo was the best marksman in the known universe, and Hercules, on account of killing so many things with hydro-poison-coated arrows, had plenty of practice. The two sons of Zeus high-fived, and Hercules went about answering several calls that had popped up in the meantime. Hecate had a giant pinned to the ground with her torches. Hydra arrow. Poseidon had broken off part of an island and flung it at a giant. Hydra arrow. Hermes borrowed Hades' invisibility cap, and was using it to fly around and trip up a giant battle of Hoth style. Hercules shot at him as he was hitting the ground. Artemis found a spot that completely immobilized her target, and of course, hit it in one shot. Hercules came by to help out with the assist. There was a one-armed giant that wasn't really fighting, but more so running around without skin. Hercules grimaced, and put the poor deicidal monster out of his misery. It wasn't an easy battle by any means. And if Hercules hadn't been there to help out, the giants would have just stood back up, pulling the spikes from their feet, or reattaching their arms, and gotten back into the fray, eventually overwhelming the Olympians. It was only thanks to Hercules' intervention, and a conspicuously atypical level of teamwork by the Olympians, that they were able to meet the giants blow for blow in the initial assault. Still, even with some pretty important and creative victories on the part of the Olympians, 10 plus giants remained, and were again rushing toward him. Hercules was starting to get tired, and even the best of the Olympians were wondering if they could win this thing. That was when they heard the thunder. While the battle raged, Zeus had been hovering in the air above the storm clouds above him grew in the air, and he surged with electricity. He welled with power, until he finally burst. All the Olympians watched, as their king felled one giant after another, leaving a gaping, smoking hole in the center of their chests. Hercules could barely keep up, as he let from one temporarily felled giant to the next, giving them their complimentary hydra arrow. As the lightning cleared, the field fell silent. The battle was won there were only two more giants left alive and they were fleeing. The eldest of the fates grimaced and shook her head. (laughs) Not today. She had a massive bronze pestle hanging from a rope. She swung it over her head and let it fly. It caught one giant in the head and as he sprawled to the ground, he hit his friend, taking him down too. Instantly, the fate was standing over the pair. She picked up her bronze bludgeon and proceeded to make sure the giants did not get back up before Hercules jogged over and finally let the giants die. As he walked back, shuddering at the image of an elderly lady joyfully pounding what was left of a giant's skull, he was surprised to have that image washed from his mind by a slightly more horrifying one. Wow, nice, we won, Athena said, rejoining the Olympians. The group recoiled. Was she wearing, was she wearing a giant's skin? She chuckled and took off her makeshift cloak blood and bits of giant still clinging to her armor. Yeah, she had flayed the one-armed giant, thinking that their skin was invulnerable. She didn't actually get a chance to try it out though. For some reason, when the giant saw her rush up to them wearing the skin of their fallen comrade, they didn't want to even fight anymore. Weird. Zeus, Hera, and Hercules, and the others looked out across the field. The giants would be taken to Tartarus and locked up beside their kin, the Titans. Poseidon had put out the fires on the base of Olympus and it would take a little cleaning and rebuilding, but things could go back to the way they were. Zeus put his arm around Hera, who did not just know, but they still needed to talk about that one giant. And so, the Olympians returned to Olympus. Gaia watched them go. She'd seen all of her children fall again to Zeus and his family, but she cradled her abdomen. She could already feel him kicking. When she watched the giants fall, she knew she had to do something. So she had gone to Tartarus, a region similar but very different from the concept of hell, and she had gotten together with him. They had conceived a monster, one who, in her dreams, could already be seen standing over the bloody body of Zeus. Typhon was on his way. Typhon, essentially the son of the Earth and Tartarus, is the most dangerous monster in Greek mythology. It's one that will, despite causing continuity errors for the Myths and Legends podcast, Someday father the Hydra, the Chimera, the Nemean Lion, the three-headed hellhound Cerberus, and more. We're not going to address it, we're just going to live with it. And next week is a pretty full episode. We're staying in Greek mythology, and we will be talking all about Typhon and his fight with Zeus. And it'll also be the long-awaited Amazon episode, where we'll finally be talking about those fierce warrior women in Greek mythology. I want to say thanks to Pyrex, Mrs. Chrome Lover, Old Pilot, GemGem7903, Sophia Mulhall, QB002, M. Richards, Robin Heo84, Louie, Crying Smilin', Jules Ballerina, Aries Eyes, Sarsuro123, and Splurbin. For taking the time to review the show on Apple Podcasts, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And if you'd like to leave a review, it does help the show. And you can find the show there at apple.mythpodcast.com. If you didn't know, there's a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of one Madagascar hissing cockroach on Amazon.com, you can get extra episodes, source pack ebooks, and ad free versions of this show that hopefully sound better than a hissing cockroach. No promises, though. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the membership. The creature this time is the Cartizonan from certain regions of India and Central Africa. The carchazonin is basically a unicorn, a surly, bitter unicorn that does not skip a day at the gym. It has an alicorn, which I just learned is the technical name for a single unicorn-like horn on the top of a creature's head. The Carazonin also has the feet of an elephant, the tail of an ox, and a horse body. That's so pumped that it screams rampant steroid use. It also has a full and majestic blonde and red mane of hair that it's pretty proud of. Because you can be a rage-filled unicorn, but that doesn't mean you can't look good being a rage-filled unicorn. It gives off a pretty steady get-away-from-me-now vibe, and, you know, okay, gladly. And its most well-known attribute, its horn, is also its most enduring. The good news? The horn of the Karazonin is invincible. The bad news? Only the horn of the Karazonin is invincible. The rest is very much vincible. If you're thinking that a jacked elephant unicorn with a pretty solid head of hair, will be a cool trophy for a hunter, you're right. That's been the thought of a lot of hunters. The creature will put up a strong fight, but when it looks like it's not going its way, he'll use that horn, so that he's never captured alive. If you're wondering how a creature with a horn on its head, uses that said horn to kill itself, well, I probably should have mentioned that the Carazonin is also apparently really into yoga, because he will throw himself from a cliff, and position himself in such a way, that the horn skewers him alive. If you're thinking that a fall where the creature has enough time to reposition himself, to impale himself on his own head is probably long enough to kill the thing, you obviously have no idea how tough the Carazonin is. If you're playing guess the real life animal this creature could be, a buff unicorn, with elephant's feet and the tail of an ox, it's absolutely a rhinoceros. I guess as it got older, the Carazonin lost all of its blonde and red hair, giving it one more thing to be mad about. (laughs) That's it for this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Colmes. There are links to even more music in the show notes. And real quickly, thank you again for listening. If you have an extra minute, please go to TakeMySurvey.net to take a very short, anonymous survey about today's episode. It will be a big help to me and the show. I'd really, really appreciate it. Again, that's TakeMySurvey.net for the quick survey to help out the show. Today's episode was written by me, Jason Weiser and produced by Chris Weiser. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.